Living Corporate is brought to you by The Access Point. The reality is, this is the largest influx of black and brown talent corporate America has ever had. And as a result, a variety of talent entering the workforce are first-generation professionals. The other reality? Most of these folks aren't learning what it means to navigate a majority white workplace in their college classes. Enter The Access Point, a live weekly web show within the Living Corporate Network that gives black and brown college students the real talk they need and likely haven't heard elsewhere. Every week, our hosts and special guests are dropping gems, so don't miss out. Check out The Access Point, airing every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard on livingcorporate.tv. Good evening, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. It is The Break Room. We are back for, I don't even know how many episodes now. It's uh, We are a staple in your evening. I'm Dr. Brian Dixon. Uh, I'm a psychiatrist uh, in Fort Worth, Texas, where I get to uh, work with kids and adults and do some awesome things with mental health. And I'm super glad to be here. I'll kick it over to Dr. Nikki. Hi, my name is Dr. Nikki, and I am a licensed psychologist here in the state of Texas, and I'm also a DEI con consultant and trainer. Um, and I am always excited to be a part of the program. I haven't been on for a couple of weeks. I've yeah. sort of been out, so both, I gotta yeah. like I gotta get my podcast sea legs back under me. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yes, we are both glad to be back. Uh, so Dr. Nikki and I were doing a hiatus. Dr. Uh, G Day and Dr. Lawanda were holding it down for a couple of weeks. And so before we introduce our awesome guest panelist uh, today, we want to always reorient you to where you are. So the break room is all about uh, being black in the workplace um, and uh, mental health in the workplace. So black mental health in the workplace. Uh, we always start the podcast off with a little bit of tea where we talk about a little something, something that uh, always uh, gets the conversation flowing, just like you would in the break room when you're doing your 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> we will then jump into um, uh, learning more about Dr. Corey and her story. And um, and we get to talk back and forth about what's going on when there's lots of toxicity at work um, and what happens there. And then we're going to move over into the last nerve because, you know, there's always something that gets on your last nerve. So, uh, and we'll end up uh, in the show from there. So the T. So, uh, and I'm, I'm sure Dr. Corey has seen a lot of this. So there's this thing called Twitter and there's this thing called med Twitter. And so uh, when the Krispy Kreme folks said, hey, we want to incentivize people to go and get vaccinated because we think it's a good idea. The Krispy, uh, Krispy Kreme folks said, if you bring in your vaccination card and you show us, we will give you one free donut every day from now until the end of the year. So all you have to do is you swing by Krispy Kreme, you show them your your uh, card and you can get a free donut every every day. And y'all, pe some people lost their damn minds. They were upset. And so I want to hear from y'all. What do y'all what do y'all think about that? Uh, just it's yeah. What I really thought I'm going to be honest is um, we don't have Krispy Kreme locations here in Houston. Mm -hmm. They are further out. I am grateful to God for that because I am, <laughs> I am, I'm from Baton Rouge and there is one Krispy Kreme in Baton Rouge. And I mean, it's a whole thing around Krispy Kreme with the mm -hmm. hot sign. Oh my God. Like there's so much nostalgia in me around Krispy Kreme and the hot sign and like family and just fun. So I would probably have a A1C of like eight if I had <laughs> a Krispy Kreme. So I'm happy that there is not one here. But I also was thinking, I'm going home this weekend. I'm going to take my vaccination card. <laughs> yes, child. Yes. What yes. about you, Dr. Corey? What do you think? Well, I am from Atlanta and uh, I am an internist. So I see people with A1Cs that are high. Um, but let you me tell you, my I boy, myself... I What's that? You getting ready to steal my joy, my Krispy Kreme Listen, joy? Listen, no, because I was excited. Except now that I'm living in California, I don't think I'm anywhere near a Krispy Kreme. So I'm waiting to go back home because I want my Krispy Kreme too. I mean, yes. it's all about moderation. Let's not get let's not get twisted. You know, any I I am someone who appreciates not to take it serious, but someone who appreciates corporate citizenship. Krispy Kreme at the end of the day sells donuts. That's what they sell. Okay, they sell donuts every day of the week. Getting one donut uh, a day and 
I, I think it would be a very small group of people who would go every day because they got vaccination. <laughs> I think they're just doing their job, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do I wish that they could have maybe given donuts to the legislators if they didn't sign in voter suppression bills? Mm. Sure. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, we got to do what we got to do. So I appreciate their corporate citizenship. When I go home, I'll be getting my donut. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Word. Yeah. Because one of the <laughs> one of the controversies. So uh, doctors on Twitter, um, it's always tough to know. Um, what is entertainment? What is educational? And so some doctors are very much on the fence of, you know, you know, there are healthier options. Why wouldn't it be, you know, Under Armour donating tennis shoes? Why are we doing, why are we glorifying Krispy Kremes? And I'm with you, Dr. Um, Corey. It's at the end of the day, they, they make donuts. That's their job. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they are really good at it. Um, now, mm -hmm. for what it's worth, Krispy Kreme is not my favorite. I'm a Shipley's guy. All the way. Oh yeah, you give I don't me even know what that is. What? You don't need to. It's yeah. a trash Texas donut. <laughs> trash donut. I love it. No, Krispy Kreme. It, they, it does that weird melty thing. Like you bite into it and it's just like it's like cotton candy. That's the point. Uh -uh. No, yeah. That's why you go when the hot sign is on. <laughs> For the meltation. That's I the joy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but it, it feels like the takeaway um, from all the Krispy Kreme nonsense is, number one, get vaccinated. Uh, we need to be safe and being safe is really, really important. So, yes, uh, whether you go get your donut or not, um, make sure to get vaccinated. So, well, that's our, our, our tea uh, with our donut. Um, and so we're going to move into the next part. So because we want to have lots of discussion about uh, um, toxicity, especially at the workplace for black folks. And so I'm going to uh, um, uh, kick it over to uh, Dr. Nikki to kind of lead um, this conversation and uh, and welcome Dr. Corey to the rest of the uh, the podcast. So, yeah. So thank you for that, Brian, for getting started. I didn't even know about it. That was all a revelation to me. So thank you for that joy. And I know exactly where my vaccine card is and I am packing it. So for the record, um, you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Nikki knows so you can see me eat my donut <laughs> for proof if you're interested. Um, but we are super excited. I'm super excited to have my dear friend. I'm going to call her by her first name because I know her by her first name, but I will definitely be respectful of her credentials. She's earned every one. Uh, but my dear friend, Dr. Aisha Khoury. And what we'll have you do is introduce yourself, share with the audience whatever parts of your bio that you want to share. We already know you're a fan of Krispy Kreme over Shipley's. I think that that affirms more deeply my friendship and love for you that you have a discerning palate um but beyond that tell us who you are what what your what your work is what you're about sure 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 i'm i'm an, an internist uh, who also trained in preventive medicine and public health and so even so i'm gonna get my donut um <laughs> i'm an educator i um really have a passion for undergraduate medical education, so met teaching medical students. Um, I'm from Atlanta, so I'm a child of the civil rights movement um, and very much been inspired throughout my life um, by John Lewis and, and all of the other great, incredible leaders that, that Atlanta uh, produces, uh, most recently Stacey Abrams. Mm -hmm. um, so in 2019, I was recruited by Kaiser Permanente Bernard J. Tyson School of Medicine to be founding faculty. Um, this was a unanimous offer. Uh, the leadership at the time was very excited about me. And one of the things that attracted me to move from Atlanta to California, away from my family, my friends, my church community, uh, was because the school was supposed to be dedicated to um, equity, inclusion, diversity. Uh, it's written into the values, the mission, the vision of the school. The school was renamed after uh, Bernard Tyson, which is who was someone definitely dedicated to, to racial equity. Um, and it's definitely something that they use in all of their social media. Um, my kind of med Twitter claim to fame at Aisha Khoury on Twitter um, was that within nine hours of having a discussion on bias and race and gender um, health disparities with my med school class, a uh, subject I was asked to teach as, as a moderator, um, I was suspended because of a, a quote complaint um, about the class. 
um, my students came out in support of me uh, unanimously. Um, 91% of the student body wanted me back. Um, and after 16 weeks of a supposed investigation, um, I finally came out on Twitter and shared my story. Uh, that was December 10th. Um, and following that, um, I, w I was eventually dismissed. So my claim to fame is being suspended and dismissed for talking about bias and uh, racial health disparities at a, at a, at a medical school. We're not going to claim that we're going to, what we're going to claim is, and this is the, my advocacy. Uh, this is because this, that's not your legacy. I, I am firmly, firmly of the belief that this is an important part of your story, but I do not believe this is your legacy for lots of different reasons. But for one, whenever I hear you talk about your experience so far, whenever I hear you talk about your identity as a doctor, uh, you talk about yourself in terms of being an internist and educator, that that piece is always a part of how you see yourself. And the difference between being a teacher or having a role as a faculty member and being an educator is that an educator is a calling. Amen. That mm -hmm. is a way of orienting yourself to the world. And because of that, and because of what I know of your character, I'm convinced that this is a very unfortunate uncomfortable, heavy, negative experience that you've had, but it is not your legacy. Um, I would I would like to hear you talk to us a little bit more about what was it in your understanding about the medical school and their emphasis on racial justice, on equity, that was particularly appealing for you. What, what yeah. so said differently, I remember, I was like, you know, University of Houston is over to medical school. You should come down here. You were like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> but but you got really excited. Yeah, I about... turned down quite a few. I, yes. I had opportunities at a few um, institutions that would have been closer to home. Um, but what drew me, so one, I... Bernard Tyson is someone who I'd gotten to meet in person. And he just leaves such an impression in terms of his leadership. Mm -hmm. And he's someone who, as a permanente physician, I have been able, I had been able to observe. Unfortunately, he died um, the year that I moved for the position. And so I think in that we lost an incredible champion uh, for the values of the school. Mm -hmm. um, when I read the values of the school and I read um, words that say, you know, we appreciate our community, we appreciate and want to respect um, the, the staff, the educators that come through our doors, that um, we want to honor inclusion and diversity. And we are, Again, if you look at all of the social media, whether it is from the dean, the senior associate deans, the, the school at large, they have placed such an emphasis on values that resonate with me mm -hmm. as a black woman who grew up in America to become a physician, a child of a civil rights movement. You know, no other school could have compared. The, the other thing is, you know, they were dedicated to being innovative and doing things differently. So even in this, even in this, you know, early on, I, I suggested um, through my legal team that there be a restorative justice process. Even in this, I thought here is a chance to really show leadership, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, even today, there's controversy about how Harvard has kind of handled their um, communications about um, the rise against violence uh, toward Asian Americans, mm -hmm. right? Um, here is a school dedicated to innovation. Here's an opportunity. This is something bad that happened to me, right? There was no mm -hmm. due process. This was personally mm -hmm. devastating. And even then I am still suggesting a restorative justice process because I wanna be part of that that dream. I want to be part of fulfilling those values. Mm -hmm. 
So there really was, you know, there really was nothing else for me. I, I, you know, culture is built from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And if I was going to be able to be there early on, I hoped that I could influence the culture. And mm-hmm. I hoped that other people were similarly attracted by the mission, vision, and values of the school. Yeah. And uh, and Dr. Corey, I would love to hear you speak on that attending student relationship. So um, uh, I, uh, I'm i teaching at one of the local medical schools as well. And I remember being a medical student and uh, being on campus and being around your attendings, especially if you saw an attending of color. I'm like, oh my gosh, a, a black doctor, this is awesome. Um, and you just, you get so close to them as students and they get so close to you. And so, um, especially cause we're a, a podcast all about mental health. I wonder what type of trauma, what kind of, what does it do to the student's psyche? What does it do, do to the attending psyche to, to kind of rip that relationship apart the way that they uh, like propagated it? How did, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I think it's important to keep a lot of that confidential. Gotcha. Um, but obviously there's an effect, Mm -hmm. right? For some of the students, that was the, that was the first time they had in their, um, educational career had a black teacher. Yep. Right. Um, I, again, being from Atlanta, I have a bit of a different background. I intentionally chose Morehouse School of Medicine. Mm -hmm. So I was surrounded, um, by black faculty. At, at all levels of be it a subspecialist, primary care, pathology, you name it. Um, there was a black medical mentor, someone who you could see. Mm-hmm. And that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and moving here, uh, moving to a, a city that, that does not have a large black population really helps you understand like how special cities like Atlanta are and how much of a privilege it was for my father to choose to raise me there. Mm-hmm. Um, when when we hear the statistic that, you know, we are only 5% of the physician population and black yep. women are only 2%. Yep, correct. I, I had not really felt that until I moved to California. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in my, um, you know, I'll, I'll share one story I share with the students is that the, the day before my suspension, um, I had had a, a black patient who's, who came and she said, I saw your picture on the website and, you know, I just wanted to come and see you. And it, 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 it was just because I was black, mm-hmm. you know, it was just because she could see someone who looked like her. And for mm-hmm. her, that meant that she would be heard, that she would mm-hmm. be listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, I can say for me, um, what's been incredibly powerful has been the student support. That's awesome. And um, I mean, they have left me chocolates. I shared that on Twitter. They have <laughs> left me cards. Um, they have been incredible. Um, and to be ripped from a calling mm-hmm. is extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. Goodness. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll throw an, uh, a comment out there and then I want to I'll kick it back to Dr. Nikki. Mm-hmm. So ooh, about four weeks ago, uh, Dr. Corey, we did a um, uh, we talked about black excellence and we talked about mm-hmm. John Henryism. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really funny because, uh, yes, uh, uh, black doctors, five percent of the uh, the physician population, two percent are black female doctors. And uh, when you're a black doctor, uh, you show up on every diversity brochure. You're in every admissions committee meeting. You're you're always around. Um, and I've done that that song and dance my whole entire career because I went to predominantly white institutions. Um, and um, and I now realize just how tired I am. And so with John Henryism, you you go above and beyond to show how awesome and competent and great you are, and then you burn out and your heart explodes. And so I I. I worry for all of us, all black physicians, that we're doing too much. Not only are we having to educate students, which is our calling, and treat patients, which is our calling, but we're also having to be DEI experts. We're also having to be lawyers. We're also having to be HR specialists. We're also having to – it's a lot. And so I just – 
um, uh, yeah, I, I commend you um, for all that you have been able to do, especially working with those those students. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to just want to say that get out get that off my chest. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And I, I want to just uh, for for clarity for anybody, <clears throat> excuse me, that's listening, watching. We want to be aware that uh, Dr. Corey has uh, a legal process underway because of the way in which. Um, well, this is my interpretation. So again, I don't want to um, cause any undue um, characterization of the experience, but my understanding is part of the uh, legal cases around the way that you were dismissed um, and the reasons for the dismissal. Discrepancy maybe even in what you were first told versus what the final decision was. Um and so I'm also curious to know, uh, so, you know, we talked about um, uh, John Henryism, and then lately we've also been talking about the impact of engaging with white toxicity on your physiology. We talked specifically about what is white toxicity. And then we talked uh, on the podcast last week, our co-host talked about when toxic is too toxic, right? And we wanted to focus this episode on being pushed out because there is a very... I think specific story in your experience around what I just heard you share, what I also hear Brian share. It's like, I am personally invested in the betterment of this entire discipline. I have selected this Mm -hmm. as a way to use my talents and skills in the world. Mm -hmm. And I bring myself to that. Mm -hmm. But you, you, the medical school, the experience, um, and what I would characterize as blatant white supremacy, I'm characterizing is that was so relentless that it left you no choice. Like it, 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 in my, and this is why I use the term pushed out that it was not, I, I think it's extremely striking that you say, even when things went left, even when you had been harmed, you were still willing to engage in a reparative process. And that the system in its structure, and this is why I labeled it as white supremacist structure, because to me, the system is more concerned with upholding itself than actually engaging in the human experience of Mm -hmm. whatever the industry is. And it was so invested in itself that there was an opportunity to even have movement for there to be resolution, whatever. So I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about that experience of feeling pushed out. Would you characterize your experience as that? Is um, and and then related to that about why being uh, so visible on Twitter? What was your sort of thinking around that? What what have you been doing to sort of stand in the gap, so to speak? Sure, sure. Um, so I think first and foremost, I'll address why why I came forward. Um, so in in my process um, of of my suspension, um, so my suspension was August twenty eighth, uh, June tenth. I received a, an email from my chair saying that he was going to recommend me for a promotion, and that would have come with a three year contract. Um, within a matter of weeks, I am getting suspended, and um, I've I've now you know don't know what's happening with that promotion. Um, but because it was start of a new academic year, um, they had to give me a contract during their investigation. Uh, so they gave me a contract for six months and that's supposed to end on December 31st. Um, as December 31st approach, they're supposed to give you 30 days, right? 30 days notice if you're not gonna get a renewal. Hmm. So they offered me a one month contract. And at that point I just started to feel like, okay, um, maybe I'm not going to get the fair shot that I thought that that I was right. Mm. At that point I started having doubts and this had been um, a really traumatic experience. I I think anyone can understand that, Mm -hmm. um, that to, to go through a process where you're not told what policy you violated that led to your suspension. um, You're not told what the complaint was. Mm -hmm. um, You know, they made a decision without talking to me, right. Without even hearing my side. Um, I just get a call nine hours after the class to say your teaching privileges have been revoked. Um, So, 
you know, on December 10th, I had had a session with my pastoral counselor. Um, my faith is very important to me. And so we're just discussing, you know, what, what has been happening and how I'm navigating this process. And um, one of the things that he said was um, something to the effect of we, we, we don't understand the weight of our stories. And that mm -hmm. really struck me. Um, because part of it meant for me was other people might be going through something similar mm -hmm. and could benefit from me being open. Mm -hmm. Now, at the time, I maybe had 20 Twitter followers. <laughs> um, but something said, figure out how to create a thread um, and put your story out there. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. um, and, and later on, someone asked me, you know, why I came forward. And I, and I said, I, I don't want to be complicit with my own trauma. Mm. My silence was complicity mm -hmm. with what they had done to me. Mm -hmm. um, when I was suspended, I was told that I cannot speak with other faculty. I cannot contact students. I can't come to the, to the campus. They went so far as to tell me, we don't want to see you here. Direct quote. And I will never forget that sentence. As if you are a threat, right? Because that... You you revoke someone's privileges and access because there is a perceived threat. There, what yeah, other and you know, is there? Again, early on, I said, okay, there is a complaint. You know, I'm at an institution that believes in equity, inclusion, diversity. They have to do the things they have to do to protect whatever. Um, and you know, I I tried to be. I tried to play devil's advocate, you know, and I think that's just part of going through all the motions um, where it's like, you, you know, you're, you're reflecting on the day, you're going back, you're having conversations, you're seeking clarity. Um, but I slowly, I slowly lost faith um, in that they would treat me fairly. And I think, um, Nikki, to your point, I went from being someone who was being promoted I went from being someone who um, in, in some ways was appreciated for the work that I had done and the promotion shows that, right? Um, to someone who was pushed out and, you know, 18 weeks after my suspension, they come out with a non-renewal letter um, and the non-renewal letter is on Twitter. I, I mean, it's it's awful. It, you know, I, I am I misrepresent myself. I um, what else do they say? I have poor judgment. I um, my my work product was poor, and that 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 one was so stunning because they used all of my curriculum. Even after they published that letter, they were still using the curriculum I wrote with very little change. Right? Um, sorry, I'm getting a bit emotional. So I, I, I hope that that kind of addressed what what, yes. what you asked. But it, it's just um, it's stunning to go through. Mm -hmm. It's stunning to go through the juxtaposition um, because it's as it's as though. It's as though the time that I had there was not reality, which I guess mm -hmm. is where the gaslighting comes in, right? I, I couldn't get it out fast enough. That is where, and, and I really want everybody to sit with the, the significant impact of that gaslighting part. It is that, so there's this other concept from sort of the sociological world called cultural imperialism as one of the ways in which people who are or systems and people that engage in oppression, they use this tactic. And cultural imperialism is this idea that I determine what is real, right, valid, and true. And you either adhere to that or you are out, you are othered, you are decentralized, you were marginalized, you were put out. And I, in my experience and listening to you share your experience, it's that gaslighting that is the re, they are trying to, in some sense, indoctrinate you into their reality. And mm -hmm. you very much are grounded in reality and saying, that is not what is happening, right? I mean, for you to right. go from 
saying you are being suspended because of what happened in the classroom to mm -hmm. a dismissal letter that includes not that conversation at all. And then all of their right. social media vehemence that it has nothing to do with that. Mm. Make it make sense. And it doesn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the real impact of racial trauma, and I want to name that for you. And I, I want to honor always um, how impactful and devastating this experience has been for you. But the part about racial trauma that makes it so devastating, that makes it traumatic, is that you were still getting up every day trying to do your best. You are still getting up every day trying to be grounded in reality and do all the things that not only you have been sort of socialized to do, but you are called to do. You, you are trying to do it. And there's this constant sort of dismissal, this constant attack, this constant um, unnamed attack, right? Because the other thing that we talked about in terms of white toxicity was like the politeness around it, the niceness mm -hmm. around it. Um, we're not going to just come out and say that you made us uncomfortable or that you made someone uncomfortable by having them reflect on racism in medicine. We're, but we're going to say, you know, it's best that you don't show up here. And then when you take offense to that, well, I said it politely. Exactly. I, I wasn't harsh, you know? I, I think one of the, um, you know, in that is, is if you read my suspension letter, which is again, also on Twitter, I'm addressed by my first name. Mm. And I think, um, you know, especially being black in this country, it's your name is so important. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and even when I asked, you know, as we're going through this very serious process that's devastating to my career, please address me formally. There is this response about the culture of the school mm -hmm. and how we, we and it, it's, 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 you know, it, it makes you, how, how is this, how is this an issue? Right. Mm -hmm. If if I as a as a provider have a transgender patient tell me any patient doesn't have to be trans tell me my preferred name is X. Mm -hmm. I call them by that name. Yep. Amen. Right. Yep. Because we all just deserve that very basic respect. But for, for me, that was also one of the more enlightening moments. And, and this is from the same person who said, we don't want to see you here. Mm. Right. Um, but that really is very profound that even as I am saying to you, mm -hmm. please call me X. You want to have and make excuses mm -hmm. for why that it's OK for mm -hmm. you to do what you prefer to mm -hmm. do. Yep. Yep. And I, to Dr. Nikki's point, because uh, now I'm thinking about what happened to me uh, with my, my one of my last jobs, which is why I said I have to quit and go do something else. Yeah. The the racial trauma. So because um, uh, eventually I was at work, even though I'm the most productive physician, I'm doing my due. I get called to the I, we called it the principal's office because, I mean, <laughs> at, at the end of the day, we're like, wait a minute, we're all grown folks. Well, you know, you don't you don't have to summon me anywhere. Right. So. But I get summoned uh, and uh, yeah, I get written up and I get the uh, first and final like y'all. I have never been written up in my life like that. That concept mm. doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And my first thought was, holy shit, did I do something wrong with the patient? Did I did I cause any harm? Did I write a prescription wrong? Did I forget something? And no, it was because I was not being collegial. Right. I was not being collegial enough because when I saw an error, I corrected it um, uh, because I was being gaslit uh, on a reply all email to the whole damn department that I was like, nope, that's not how it happened. And I replied all in a very what I thought professional way. And so, Dr. Corey, I really want to hear your your take on professionalism, because that's a whole damn thing in, in medicine. Yeah, um, that is a yeah. whole thing. I um, <laughs> I, um Oh, you you made you made so many good comments, and I was, I, I, I was trying to. to... <laughs> I I, I want to make one point when you say about written up. I was never written up. Yeah, which just blows my. mind. I was mind. never written up, right? Mm. And so when I when it comes to 
you know, getting the, the, the suspension and then getting this, this letter of, with regard to my termination, there was never a work improvement process. Um, there was never a, um, you know, uh, come to the side, you have a complaint, please sign this paper. All of the things that typically go into um, uh, losing one's job. Mm -hmm. um, and especially as an educator, you know, in academic medicine, there's a whole handbook yep. uh, for how these things are supposed to be sorted out. This is not, you know, a, you know, these are not typical positions, right? Mm -hmm. There's a process because we go through a lot of training to, to get to these places mm -hmm. uh, and we should be treated fairly. Um, Professionalism is so steeped in specific culture. I'm going to go ahead and, and name it's... it for you. I'm going to say it's steeped in white dominant culture. And in particular, it's steeped in white male heteropatriarchal culture. If we won't get specific with it, it's just the Karens learn how to work it sooner than we do because they get indoctrinated from birth than we do. Right. So, so professionalism is not about your merit. It's not about your work. It's, it's not about your ethic, your productivity. It's not about your intelligence. It's purely about how you make others feel. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right? And so if my hair makes you feel uncomfortable, and I did tend to, even the day I was suspended, uh, my hair was natural. My hair is natural, but it was down. Um, I wore a t-shirt that says, I can't breathe. I had on an African print skirt. Um, and I very, very regularly wore my hair before we were wearing masks and face shields. I wore my hair as big as I could get it. Uh, and I had, you know, African print is colorful and it's bold. Um, and as I'm sure we've experienced, sometimes our mere presence is enough of a threat. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, I thought I was in an environment where I would be accepted for who I was. So I didn't, I didn't see these things. It was just, this is what makes me feel like me today, right? Mm -hmm. um, but as you know, being Black in America means you have to modulate your emotions. You have to modulate your tone of voice. Mm -hmm. You can't laugh too loudly. You can't, you can't, you, <laughs> you know, you have to use certain diction in certain spaces. Um, otherwise, you could be considered unprofessional. Mm -hmm. It's something I reflected on in one of my Medium blogs uh, about allyship. Mm. Mm. So, and I think that's really important, that last clause, right? Because when you, you, when you don't do those things, you get pushed out, you get summoned, you get, there, there are systems in place to bring you back into form, to bring you back into a zone that makes them feel comfortable. And when you don't do that, there are always consequences. Always, yep. There are always consequences, right? And so that's additional part of the mental burden of being black in this country is having to navigate all of that, right? How many of the consequences am I willing to deal with? How am I going to navigate through these consequences? Um, where is my unrelenting line of integrity where I'm just not going to, I'm not going to, right? Um, and all of that is sort of a constant negotiation and conversation and you have to consult with friends and get input and make sure you have an, an ally, make sure you have an advocate, make sure you have a sponsor, make sure you have your <laughs> mental oh, Lord. all of these fucking Amen. layers. Just to show up and do your damn job. Your job. Yeah. And yeah. we do it excellently on top of all of that. Yeah. And and Nikki, I want to point out that especially um in the in in the medical community specifically, you know, first of all, after George Floyd's murder, you have uh public health communities declaring racism is a public health crisis. Mm-hmm. You have physicians coming out on their lunch to kneel outside of the workplace with signs um, about Black Lives Matter, kneeling for eight minutes and 46 seconds, right? So this is the same summer that I get suspended for having a discussion I was asked to have. And that, yeah, Dr. LaWanda that is ultimate Performance, performative, it's performative. <laughs> I call bullshit. You know, but but you just you just you know when when I 
move because of the rhetoric, right? When, when I'm being asked to have the discussion and I believe like, okay, like we are living, we are living our mission, vision and values, mm -hmm. right? You know, we, we've already done all the, I'm sure as in your workplaces, you know, we had the town hall meetings. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? Tell us all your stories about racism, you know? And you want to, you want, you, 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 you participate in these things because you hope that it makes a difference because you hope, oh, okay. You know, we, we have this chasm that opened up a little bit, right? Like people can see it had to be so brutal for people to see, but people can see the things that we talk about on a daily basis. You want to take advantage of that, right? Mm -hmm. I want to take advantage of that. So let me tell you my story. And you think that people are listening. And then within a matter of weeks, you get suspended and no one can tell you why and no one can tell you what policy you violated. Yeah, and, and I, I'm sure there's a term for this, but uh, as you were talking to Dr. Um, Corey, it made me think switcheroo, right? Because yeah, I get to the job, they're like, oh, we love your energy, we love your pedigree, we love everything about you. And then you do what you came to do and they change it. Right. And it feels like that is a theme in this country Hey, we want to, you know, have a we want a Supreme Court justice nominee. Oh, you can't do that, right? It's too close to the election. And then they go and they just change the damn rules whenever mm -hmm. the hell they want to. And and then they right. expect us not to get mad. And I'm like, how what the hell is this? Like is, is And I there... and I think that's that's <sighs> you know, my my again, not being complicit, right? I don't want my silence to be complicit. Mm -hmm. And then once I experience that, just the the outpouring of one support um, but secondly, the stories mm. every week. I mean, it slowed down a little bit, but but even this week, receiving stories about everyone from at every level, be it an attending, a specialist, a resident being pushed out. Similar stories. You're stellar in your work. You're set for promotion. You've never mm -hmm. had a performance issue. And suddenly you don't have a job. Mm -hmm. I, it's what's motivated me to keep talking. Mm -hmm. Something that um, will be coming soon to a Twitter near you. Um, there's a collective of us that are um, advocating so that we could have a hearing before Congress, mm -hmm. uh, before senators on the health committee, because you it's just, I cannot call myself an educator, have this experience and think about my eight students and think that 20 years from now, 12 years from now, they could contact me and say, hey, X, Y, and Z happened to me. And my only response was, mm-hmm, happened to me too. <laughs> and I didn't do this anything about that. Preach. You know? So I can only do as much as I can in every way I can to make noise about this issue. Amen. Um, I have, you know, sent messages to all of the regulatory agencies within um, medicine. Um, from from medical schools to hospital hospital re re regulatory agencies, I'm trying to work with other uh, state and now uh, federal legislators um, because at least I will be heard. Now I can't control the outcome, um, but I have to make it a better space for the students uh, who are coming after me. So I put in the the chat box because I've been thinking about this and I wanted to make sure I got the quote exactly right. So I went to Google mm -hmm. it. the Zora Neale Hurston quote. If you are silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. And, and I really exactly appreciate you saying so many times I refuse to be complicit in my trauma. I refuse to be silent in this because the reality is the consequence, the worst consequence has already happened. Right. They fired you. I'm going to use the word fire. They fired you and they lied. I, all me, they lied about why they fired you. Again, this is my character, characterization of what I have um, learned about the experience. And then they won't uh, facilitate your... I don't even know what the word is. Transition even better, right? So now you're just sort of hanging out, right? Um, not doing the thing that you were called there to do. So I, I really am excited to hear about all the advocacy work that you're doing. I wonder if you would share with us a little bit more um, personally about what other tools, resources, skills you 
not necessarily skills, but what have you been using to help facilitate, right? Because it's one thing, so let me be clear, what I'm saying is you still are practicing medicine mm -hmm. in the same context and around many of these people that have treated you with such disdain, who have lied on you, who have probably talked about you behind your back and now you know it, but you don't know who or who said what, right? And you still have to go into the work environment every day with that. And you're not doing the job that you went there to do. So how are you making it through? This is always a podcast about mental health. And so I would love to know what supports and resources you have used, um, because I think that's another important part of telling the story, because a lot of us continue to suffer in silence mm -hmm. um, and swallow our pain. So. And I, and I think I swallowed that pain for 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 quite a long time. Um, and, and again, you know, I didn't share anything publicly for 16 weeks. Um, and it, it was only after that that I started to broaden the number of people who even within um, my closest circles who were aware of what I was experiencing. Um, and I and I think, you know, what, what's so important and, and something I, I share with my patients. Um, there are moments where you're so happy as a child. Um, and whether that is is something creative, typically, that as an adult, you've likely abandoned, it's always great to go back to those moments that make you feel happy. Mm. Um, and so for me, it has been a lot of coloring. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's been, um, you know, a, a, a enjoying um, these uh, random kind of Instagram live dance DJ parties. So mm. dancing in my socks on the hardwood floor. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's talking to your elders, wherever those elders are. It's not necessarily someone who's older than you, but maybe someone who's had similar experiences that mm -hmm. you've had, you know, and, and it, a lot of that is engaging on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, because so many of us have gone through this. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the only thing that we can do is, is continue to share our story. We cannot control uh, how people in power respond. Mm -hmm. um, but we can continue to share our story. And I think that has been the most important thing for me. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you know, gospel and prayer and and talking and engaging in conversations like this has been mm -hmm. really helpful. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Corey. Um, we are at four to seven minutes into yeah. the podcast, and uh, this is where we transition yeah. into the last nerve, y'all. The last nerve, not the, <laughs> the first nerve, nerve. The <laughs> last nerve. So uh, we're going to give that to Dr. Nikki today, Woo! and then I'll I be back to close us out. <laughs> well, right before, right before, I'm going to do two minutes. Okay, so we'll do two how, minutes. You know how I can go. We set a timer too, because otherwise it'll get off the rails. Yeah, and like church. a minute and it goes too fast. Yeah. I do. I just want to also express my thanks. I know that, um, again, talking about this uh, can simultaneously be healing, but also triggering. And so I appreciate you for being willing to share this time with us and with our audience and for recognizing that uh, I really am convinced that though we may have physicians listening, we may have people that are in other professions, there is something so uh, resonant about your experience that I'm sure you have helped a lot of people by sharing. And so I thank you for that vulnerability. Um, I'm going to say on the record, I hope you get all the points. I want you to get every <laughs> single one of them. I get to say it. She didn't say it. I'm saying it because I rep for Black women. We are the blueprint. So we should get all of our points. I want you to get them. I want them to issue you a public apology. I want them, I really want them to name a damn chair in your name is what I really want them okay. to do. But at the very least, I want you to get all yours. I want you to get everything that they said you couldn't have. And I'm putting that out here with all of this energy and fierceness. And I am convinced the universe is going to respond in turn. So thank you mm -hmm. for that. So my last damn nerve. <laughs> is about not just the state of Georgia, but spe specifically the state of Georgia. I'm coming for you, Brian Kemp, and them six other raggedy ass, pale face, turkey neck, 
motherfuckers that was standing next to you under the sign of a plantation. And if you think we don't know that the symbolism wasn't specific and intentional, you don't know us the way we know you for trying to repeal all of the work that our ancestors and our foremothers and forebears have done for essentially spitting on the grave of those who were attacked by dogs, attacked by fire hoses, spit on to try to repeal our very basic right for voting. I wanna say, fuck you. you we will not be silenced. We are our ancestors' wildest dreams. We have learned from them. We are stronger than them. We are more leveraged than them. We are better positioned than them. We have more time, money, money, energy, and resources than they were afforded to have. We are not going to sit idly by and let that happen. I'm talking to you also, state of Texas. I'm talking to you to the other 46 states across this country that are trying to take us back us to 1945. We ain't going. You come in our way. We have made it clear. You refuse to listen. I know you feel us breathing on your neck. That's why you so shook. That's why you're trying to come as hard as you coming. But we ain't scared because we got shit to do. Preach. And your salvation, America, is in our liberation. You don't get to have what you think you want to have and what you deserve without us. So take note. We just getting started. And that is my last nerve. Ooh, child. Amen. Oh, <laughs> Lord have mercy. I love it. Um, thank you, Dr. Nikki, for speaking some truth to power. Um, we are super glad that y'all joined us this afternoon or this evening. Uh, we are on every Thursday at seven o'clock Central Time, uh, five o'clock uh, Pacific. Uh, we want to send much love and thanks to our uh, guest panelist, Dr. Aisha Corey. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm Dr. Dixon, Dr. Nikki, and we are out. Uh, please follow us on uh, Twitter at the Break Room LC, uh, or send us an email at thebreakroomlc at gmail.com. Peace, y'all. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.